Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Welcome back, Soul Grit listeners. This is Anne, and I just wanted to give you a heads up about this episode. My guest today is Nicole Devereaux, and besides being a really interesting conversationalist, she also leads an adventurous life, meaning she lives in an RV, and we did this recording outside a public library. She was in Colorado, and I was here at home, and so some of the audio is not exactly up to par. There's a few times where her connection went out a little bit, so I just wanted to give you that heads up that you're going to have a real treat with this episode, as long as you can bear with a couple of the warbly sounds from when that Zoom connection is incomplete. So enjoy this conversation. You're going to learn so much. I want to welcome everybody back to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Anne, and today I'm here with my friend Nicole Devereaux. And Nicole has known me since I was a like baby married person when I moved to Minnesota. We go back to the days of Minneapolis, both living there, and we both moved on from there. But Nicole, why don't you introduce yourself and share what you've been doing since I knew you? What was it? Almost 20 years ago. <laughs> 20 years, I think. And I, 15. wow, hearing you say that. <laughs> Maybe it's 15. We're, we're growing for, up. Yeah, 17 years I've been married. So that's how long I've known you. Okay. Okay. 17. Great. I'm, I just hit 21. So similar yeah. amount. Yeah. So since then, my husband and I have started two churches, one in Minneapolis, one in Brooklyn, very different from each other. Then we left ministry and are currently living full time in an RV with our two daughters. And I'm just doing all sorts of things. I decided to get certified as a coach in something called conversational intelligence, which we're going to talk more about. And I also have become an anti-bias educator with a nonprofit in St. Paul. So I'm really grateful to be able to do work virtually uh, that I love and get to talk to people like you from all, <laughs> all over the country. Yeah, that's super fun. So like, as you said, one of your specialties is conversation. And that's really what I do with a different slant. Obviously, I have conversations with people in 50 minute segments where I help them with their stuff. And then I get to have this podcast where I get to talk to people for varied amounts of time, usually virtually on a screen where we just get to talk about interesting stuff. So I'm really happy that you're here. And we're going to talk about some of like the nuances of what makes a good conversation? What makes you a good listener? How can you really tune in and have empathy for people? Uh, you're going to teach me about this and then, Ooh. and our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and then, thank you. Yeah, if we can get into some anti-bias stuff, I think that would re be really great too for our listeners, but 
that may be a whole other podcast. So let's just see where it goes here. We're, we're kind of, I told Nicole, we would be just spitballing here. So we're just having a conversation. So Nicole, why don't you just tell us what is CIQ or conversational intelligence? What is that? Great. So CIQ was developed by a woman named Judith Glazer, who has since passed on, um, which I like to mention because I feel really privileged that I had the opportunity to learn from her before her passing. Um, She was a organizational anthropologist. So she kind of went into big corporations. I mean, this is based in New York City. So you can imagine the types of businesses that are in New York. She was in there and she studied how they worked. And she started making connections between um, amazing company culture and um, neuroscience. And she developed conversational intelligence through neuroscience research that really just asked the question, what happens in our brains when we have conversations with other people? And then, of course, all the things that go around it. What happens when we have a bad conversation? What happens when we have a good conversation? What makes a good or a bad conversation from a brain perspective, right? And then how does that filter into the relationships that are developed? Um, And so her her kind of tagline was, everything starts with a conversation Mm -hmm. and the quality of our conversations determines the quality of our relationships, which then determines the quality of all the work that we do in the world. I'm getting really excited about you talking about this, like the science part and the connection part. And I can even see like, like God created our whole world with a conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Let's get this thing started. Let there be light, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, words are powerful. I am seeing, yeah, I'm seeing the tie in both to like what I do as a therapist, what we believe as Christians, and then just like wanting to have quality relationships and work. So keep going. I'm excited. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, so something that was quoted a lot in my time studying with Judith was um, there was a study done um, by Stanford University that found that nine out of 10 conversations fail. To, and what they meant by that was that um, the two parties did not walk away both feeling like they uh, the conversation was a success, right? And so the whole kind of heart behind CIQ is what if we could change that number? Because if you think, if you think about it, if you think, gosh, 90% of the conversations that I have with people aren't really landing or having the impact that I want them to have. That's, it's kind of depressing, you know, because all we, we talk to people all the time, (laughs) you know, like our spouses, our coworkers, our children, the cashiers at the grocery store, you know, all the conversations that we're having. So it, it, for me, I think that I got and this wasn't the question you asked me, but for me, I got really passionate about CIQ because being in ministry um, and being married and being a parent, I just really, it's so important to me that I connect with people. And if I can't have a successful conversation, then I can't connect. And if I can't connect, then we're all missing out. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not learning and growing. I'm not helping other people learn and grow. So I'm thinking about how this episode is going to be airing right after the series on church hurt and think about how many of those situations where people felt like 
a pastor didn't listen or an elder didn't listen or the the parishioners didn't listen or you couldn't say what you needed to say or that there was a disconnect and how many of those hurtful situations could be avoided if you're just having like real effective successful conversations right a hundred percent yeah i i mean you obviously as a therapist you um do a lot of listening <laughs> to people and hearing their hurt and so much of hurt in my experience I've, I've gone to therapy many times in my life and so much of hurt really a lot of it does come down to misunderstanding so not just miscommunication but feeling misunderstood or feeling like i can't get what i'm trying to say across to somebody else or they don't care about what I'm saying, right? So there's something on the other person's end. So definitely, um, I the more that I dig into CIQ and just healthy conversations in general, the more I realize that we aren't taught. We mm-hmm. really aren't taught the skill of being able to engage with people in a way that is positive and productive and creative and collaborative and connecting. And what a shame, like that's what we spend most of our life trying to do. So why, why is this skill not more widely taught? So when did you go through this training? I went through the training in 2017. It was a year long. Okay. So like four years ago, Mm -hmm. so your kids were elementary, middle school at that age? Both elementary. Yeah. My oldest one is 13 now and my younger one is nine. So four years ago is nine and five. Okay. So I'm guessing that as a parent going through this training, you were like, oh my gosh, I need to teach my kids. So (laughs) yes, and I'm sure like, it's probably similar with the kids of a therapist, you know, like there's some certain nuances that are different there, but how did you go about bringing this into your family? Yeah, good question. So I, I've never actually said to my husband or my children, this is conversational intelligence. So they would not be able to pair it back to you what yes. it was that I was <laughs> seeping into our <laughs> conversations. Um, but I think that one way and one of the tenets of conversational intelligence is leading with curiosity. So really rather than letting my own opinions and my own beliefs drive a conversation or drive the way that I'm listening to somebody, there's a been a huge shift for me where the, the driving force is curiosity. I just want to ask questions and I just want to, um, really try to dig as deeply as I can into what the other person is trying to say. Mm -hmm. So I would say in our home question asking is, is a major value. I, I kind of pity (laughs) the the future friends, boyfriends, spouses (laughs) that might be coming into our home, um, in that regard, but, um, no. So I, I would say curiosity, the value of curiosity has been, um, a major component of my parenting and, um, something that I try to engage or encourage in my kids. Cause I think kids are naturally curious and they kind of lose that over time. Once they start learning that people expect a certain type of answer or don't really value what they have to say. So often we don't value the kids' perspectives. And so I, I guess it's not so much teaching them curiosity as really wanting to um, uh, support it and help them not ever let go of that curiosity, that curious spirit. Yeah. 
So if you want to date one of the Devereaux girls, you're going to have to go through a training so that you can handle all the questions. <laughs> Actually, there was a, a really great uh, young man in our church in Brooklyn who, when he started dating someone, we invited them over for dinner. And he told me many months later, he said, I did warn her before coming over. <laughs> there was going to be a lot of question asking, which did happen. So that's funny. Um, yeah, it happens. Okay. Yeah. So, so you said one of the tenants is curiosity. Are there yes. other main tenants that you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, um, I, I'm trying to, one of the perspectives or mind shifts in, in thinking about conversations in conversational intelligence is listening to connect with the other person, which maybe sounds obvious, but if you think about how you typically listen and not in your work life as a professional therapist, <laughs> but when you're in normal everyday conversation with people, typically we're a little bit distracted. We're thinking about other things as the other person is talking. If the person is sharing an opinion that we disagree with, typically a good portion of our brain is thinking about our rebuttal, how we want to contradict what they're saying or prove that they're wrong. Um, all, all of those things are listening to uh, reject what someone is saying or confirm what somebody is saying. So even if somebody is saying something we agree with, we're still usually thinking about, oh, yeah, that reminds me of, you know, let me tell you how I agree with you. And those levels of conversation, those levels of listening are pretty superficial because they're all about me. They're not really about the other person. Right. But in conversational intelligence, the shift is to saying, what if I listen to connect with this person and listening to connect with somebody is actually listening with your whole body. And I, I know different people, you know, people are going to think I'm going off in the <laughs> la la land now, <laughs> but what I mean by that is there's something deeper than the words that someone is saying, because most of us cannot fully articulate what's truly in our minds and our hearts. Most of the time, what's coming out is not fully thought through, even for introverts who like to take, you know, three to five days to process before they say something out loud. And I say that with, with great respect, even then most of the time we can't all put fully into words, what's really going on for us. But when we're listening to somebody we're really only hearing the words that they're saying, and we're really only capturing, you know, a small percentage of the words that they're saying, because we're working on what's going on in our own brains. So if you strip all of that away and you just say, how can I listen to this person to connect with them? What I'm listening for is not necessarily the words that they're saying. I'm listening to the values that they're expressing. I'm listening for what matters to this person. What are they afraid of? What are they excited about? What are they hoping for? What what are they worried about? And those things, they're not going to say directly most of the time, right? But if I'm listening to connect with them, then I'm then all the words that they're saying, rather than getting nitpicky about, oh, they said this, and what does that mean? Um, I'm listening for the deeper meaning behind it. And I am getting curious. Maybe they do say something and a word is, I'm sticking on a word. Instead of responding to that, I'm saying, hey, you said this. Could you tell me more about what you meant? And what I've found, and you've probably noticed this in therapy too, is when you ask somebody to kind of pause and reflect on what they've just said, sometimes what they say again 
is not even the same as what they said the first time because they've had a chance to say, did I really mean that, right? Did I really want that to be communicated? And so, yeah, I would say that listening to connect piece is really a core core practice in conversational intelligence. If you're, you're talking with somebody who's an external processor, so they have to get all the words out before it makes sense in their brain, Right. (laughs) (laughs) then you have to kind of, I I feel like there is a disconnection that happens because, you know, they're just going through the process. And if you hang on every single word that they say, you're going to get lost. But if you can listen to themes and patterns and values and meaning and emotion behind it, you're going to follow the thread. And then you can come back, like you said, and say, so did, what did you mean by this? Or can you tell me more about this? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even so asking questions, you know, I've already covered the curiosity piece and there's also a compassion piece. Sometimes you just listen for people just to, I, I really hear what's going on for you and that matters and I care about it. And because conversational intelligence is based in neuroscience, I just want to say, you know, in our brains, our brains are trained to look for safety right? That's our most, that's the brain's most basic, basic question. Am I safe? Do I belong in this situation with this person, in this relationship, in this, you know, circumstance? Our brains are instinctively asking that and we can say yes, or our brains answer yes, when we feel cared for, when we feel like somebody notices me, they see me, they care about me. And so really the secret to a great conversation is just letting somebody be seen and heard. It's it's so simple when I say it out loud, right? But the more I do it, the more I realize we don't do this. And it takes work to, to do that, to slow down and really say to somebody, I see and I care. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we get from God, right? Like Mm. a a previous guest was talking about how the story of Hagar in Genesis was really meaningful to her. And she gave God the name El Roy, the God who sees me and that God was seeing her even through all of her mental health struggle. And I shared with her how a friend, like the best compliment that she could give me was I feel seen by you. And Mm -hmm. that means I know I'm on the right track, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, that, that theme keeps popping up for me, the things that I hear uh, on podcasts or sermons or read in blogs and stuff that being seen and known is really the most valuable thing we can give to people. A hundred percent, because when we don't feel that way, we all know what that feels like. And that feels stressful. It feels discouraging, you know, all these these things that put strain on our nervous systems, on our emotions, you know, it takes, it exhausts, it's exhausting to not feel seen or heard. And um, just really quickly and make that connection to anti-bias work. It's one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about that as well, because it is, you know, the, the biases, the prejudices, the stereotypes, and then the behaviors that come from, from those things that lead to, you know, the disappearing, the erasure of so many voices in our, in our society. And man, to to go back to God, right? It's like God created such a diversity of, of 
humanity, of culture, of experience, of perspective, and God sees all of those and his desire. And I think, you know, we think about the last days and the kingdom that we'll live in and every tribe and nation and tongue, we, we think about being together. And yet in our present day, we do so much of ignoring or condescending to or dismissing so many other voices. And so, yeah, I would say, I, I think conversational intelligence, thinking about our brains, which all work the same way or were designed the same way, but then our experiences and, and what comes out of us and, and how our experiences shape us and, and change our perspectives, like all of those things come together for me. I don't feel like that was a clear thought. I don't know if anybody was tracking <laughs> with me. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, we haven't gotten much into like anti-racism or anti-bias yet, but what's funny for you, it all comes together with that. But also for me, like when I think about when I'm doing like cognitive behavior therapy with a client, like typically what we get to, what we move towards in the process is compassion, curiosity, mm. and, uh, well, calm and connection, you know, like those are the things that we're working towards getting to by doing that therapeutic process. And, and you're saying those are the same things that we can offer each other in conversation. So like it all ties together. Or even if you look at like a, an attachment theory basis, having secure connection, secure attachment, having safety it is the basis for healthy relationships you know, and you have that with your caretakers as an infant, then you're able to form that with others in your adult life. And like, it all ties together, which just reinforces that. Yeah. God did create all of this and <laughs> there's a plan. Yeah, yeah. There's a plan yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Was there any other like main part of conversational intelligence that you wanted to share? It's a good question. There's so many things. Sorry. Like I have all of these visuals flashing through my brain and thinking uh -huh. about different workshops and, and things like that. I, I think that I just want to stress that the better we understand our own needs and we ensure that our needs are taken care of, which keeps us calmer which keeps us more connected and compassionate for ourselves. I think the better we are able to offer that to other people. And I, I do want to, I think I just want to say that because I've definitely been somebody who's been guilty of when I learn something, I want to share it with everyone. And of course I want to put it into practice, right? But conversations are two-sided and there's only so much of the conversation that I can be responsible for. And it's been a learning journey for me to realize that I can bring in all the conversational intelligence tools, um, restorative justice tools, um, nonviolent communication is another process that I work through. I can bring all those things in and a conversation can still not be successful because the other person isn't responsive. Right. And so I think I know this is maybe going a little bit off track, but I guess I just want to encourage people that at the end of the day, it's wonderful and useful for us to learn these tools and to make connections to how God designed us and the, the aspiration that we have to live in harmony and in peace together. And also we have to be compassionate towards ourselves and realize 
Like, what is the work I have to do? And what is the work someone else has to do that I can't be responsible for? And sometimes at the end of the day, it means that we have to accept a less than wonderful conversation or relationship. Um, That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Because that's good boundaries, right? Yeah. Not taking responsibility for the part that's not yours. Yes. But doing a really good job at the part that's yours. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. I think just for time's sake, I'd like to invite you back another time to talk about anti-racism, anti-bias as a Christian, as a minister of the gospel. How, how do mm. we do that? I would say in my local area here, there's more of a, it's more of a red area, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so sometimes the things that I hear from people in therapy sessions don't really jive with me personally. And yet I'm not there to correct their (laughs) stance on certain things. So I'd love to bring you back another time to talk about that if you're willing. And then yeah, that, that is an important conversation for us to have. So you have yes. something you can offer, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I talk a lot. It doesn't mean that I'm always bringing value to the conversation, <laughs> but I have a lot to say. Yeah. So. <laughs> Same here. Okay. So if somebody wants to get more um, invested in conversational intelligence, like where do they get started? That's a good question. So Judith did write a book called Conversational Intelligence. I will say because her background was business uh, organization, that it's very geared towards the workplace. But hopefully a lot of your listeners, I mean, we all have jobs or most of us have jobs we go to. So I would still say there's value in there. And she shares some, some exercises that she used at different organizations. So that's a, you know, easy place to get some broad knowledge. I I think for a lot of people just making that shift, and I know I'm sounding repetitive, so maybe this is really more of a testament to the shift that I had to make for myself, but shifting from listening to people in a way where I'm waiting to tell my side of the story, shifting from that to a place of listening to people with the goal of connecting to their story. Mm -hmm. I feel like if that was the only thing that people started doing differently, it would still make a massive difference. The other thing I can say, and, and maybe this sounds too businessy or professional, but you know, you mentioned boundaries and a, a tool that I've used because of conversational intelligence is actually really clarifying with people why we're having a conversation in the first place. So even if I'm just getting coffee, sometimes when I sit down with somebody and after we've you know, gotten those initial niceties out of the way, I'll ask like, what's on your mind? What's going on for you? Or did you have a, a specific reason you wanted to meet with me today or whatever? Just, just setting that up because once I know what the other person wants out of a conversation, mm-hmm. it really helps to direct the conversation, right? And it's easier at the end to say, hey, did we cover everything that you wanted to get to? Or do, should we have another conversation? Or it just kind of helps make that next step or the closure kind of clear. And, and really, I do that a lot with anything. So asking somebody, is now a good time to talk about this? Yeah. You know, Do you have the mental energy to do this? And really just... It's so, so simple, but I think asking people's permission 
asking for clarity about what they want, what their goals, hopes are, and then listening to connect with them. And then when the conversation ends, really putting a button on the end saying, did we, did we talk about what you wanted to talk about? Do you feel like I understand what you wanted to say to me? Just those very simple practices to me dramatically have changed the, I think the productivity. And I mean that in the uh, positive sense of the word, the productivity of conversations. Was that helpful? Yeah. Because sometimes the, the purpose of the conversation is connection. Yeah. If I didn't invite you to come on the podcast and you were driving your RV through Southern California, I might just call you to connect with you just because I want to catch up. And like, like that's an okay purpose for the conversation. 100%. Right? Yeah. 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 So, and I'm thinking about conversations we have like with our spouses, like sometimes you're just going through what happened during the day or what bills you got to pay or <laughs> things like that. But to clarify, even like with your partner, I need just some time to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Tell me what feelings and thoughts you've had today, which is mm-hmm. really hard for some people. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I think what's interesting about conversations, I feel like I've been talking a lot about listening, the listening side of conversations, but on the speaking side of conversational intelligence, I do think the more that I just ask for what I need and, and say what's going on for me, the more that I'm willing to be vulnerable and honest the more successful the conversation tends to be because then I'm really putting the ball in the other person's court to make a choice to say, yes, I can meet you with what you're asking for or no, I can't. And even if I wish the answer was yes, I would so much rather say somebody have somebody say no, and then not go down a path that would have been probably a harmful conversation. I think that's the speaker side of conversational intelligence is, is being willing to be more vulnerable and honest about what I, what I need, what I, what I want, what I hope and sharing that with the other person, then it, it makes it at least, I feel like it lays the foundation for this is where I hope to go. And if you want to go with me, then let's try. And if you don't want to go with me, then I've saved myself the pain of trying to drag you along. Right. Yeah. Because like putting yourself out there is labor in itself. And so (laughs) if you lead with all of your needs and expectations and feelings and the person's like not in a place to hear it at the moment, then you get disappointed, resentful, discouraged. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And let's just be honest too, in my experience, so I can't put like a research or statistic behind this, but in my experience, a lot of people actually don't know themselves very well. So even when we are vulnerable and honest with somebody, they might think that they can have that conversation with you. And then it turns out that they can't. And for me personally, sometimes that's more harmful because I thought it was a yes. And so that I'm like fully sharing myself, you know, and then it turns out, oh no, like they can't handle it or they weren't ready to go there or they, you know, whatever the, the negative response is from the other person. And so again, at the end of the day, I think like you said, there's, there's compassion as well. There's the grace of being able to say like, this didn't work and um, we need to kind of let that go and walk away. And also, I mean, you know, you did a church hurt 
conversation. So there's, there's also healing and not just church hurt, right? Any harm, any trauma, it's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking right now that maybe I should do another episode about like when you note in your body that the conversation isn't going well. And so there are like physiological signs that happen. So I'll do do something else and then you can, we'll talk about how you can close that part of the conversation with the promise of reopening it to resolve it at a different time. If you've become flooded and Mm -hmm. got fight or flight going on, some of those things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll do a different episode about that. Good, good. (laughs) Well, because that's another piece of skill building. I don't think that for the most part, we're taught to trust our bodies. Um, and I, I think about, so my husband and I, and you know this a bit, Anne, but my husband and I have had a very volatile um, relationship in terms of we fight hard, right? We, we, are, we are both external processors. We are both strongly opinionated. And we've had very, 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 very ugly fights. And um, so we've done a lot of apologizing to our children. Mm-hmm. where we go to them after our fights and we give them a space to process. How are you feeling? You know, when you heard us arguing like that and our kids have said scared or sad or, you know, whatever the feelings are. And we've affirmed them and said, that's, that's normal. And that it makes sense that you would feel that way. Mm-hmm. And one of my therapists, one of my favorite therapists, <laughs> um, I was telling her about that once. And she said to me, you know, she said, teaching your kids to trust their instincts to say, when you felt scared, there was a reason and it's like, you weren't wrong. You, you, that was right. That you felt that way is, is such a valuable skill. And I I carry that with me so much that like affirming my kids instincts and trusting their body and trusting that when something doesn't feel right, then, then they can, they can do something about it or that there's a reason for it. That helps me, you know, when I think about all the mistakes I'm making as a parent, (laughs) but yeah, like what you were saying, like shutting down and and our bodies respond before our brains can analyze it. And if we were taught to be more in tune with our, what was happening with our bodies, um, I think, again, that would change our own compassion for ourselves and our ability to then connect more deeply with other people. So I think as Christians, there's been a lot of disconnect between body, mind, spirit, all of that. So, and I yeah. think it's starting to the tides are turning a little bit. Like recently I did an episode with a woman who's a yoga therapist and a Christian. And so part of what she teaches is being in tune with your body and, and, you know, listening to what's going on and noting when something's not right, like there's a, an emotional piece and then there's a physical piece that Mm -hmm. are both sending you those warning signs. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like we should probably wrap up, even though I have like 13 other conversations I could have with you, but for the sake of the listeners to be able to process through what we've been talking about. Um, Oh, one more question before we get there. Are you doing coaching on CIQ? I'm not formally in the sense that I'm not marketing it. I do often do uh, workshops, like if there's organizations that want to, uh, like a workshop that's usually popular is having difficult conversations in the workplace. So I'll do something like that or people, yeah, I've done workshops. I haven't done specific coaching recently. Yeah. But thanks for asking. 
<laughs> and if people wanted to hear more from you, is there a place that you exist on the web or the social media? I think LinkedIn might be the best place um, because I try to keep that updated about the different jobs I have and the different things I'm interested in. So it's the easiest place to kind of see what I'm up to and, and then, yeah, easily connect with me. Thank you. Great. Okay. Last question. Here's the wrap up. What are you doing for soul care? Yeah. So because we live in an RV, (laughs) most of the time, depending on where we're camped, I get up much earlier than my family and I will take a hike in the morning. And I use this app called pray as you go, hmm. which, um, is based in England, I think. Cause, uh, yeah, I think it's based in England uh, or was developed there and there's a song and a scripture that's read. And then there's questions to meditate on. But what I love about this app is they'll ask a question and then there'll be a lot of silence where they're just <laughs> letting you meditate or pray or whatever it is you want to do in that silence. Um, you know, they're not just like rolling off the questions. Mm-hmm. So I'll typically do that app and then I'll finish like on my own with a worship song or something while I walk through, you know, whatever beautiful piece of nature I'm in that day. So that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that app. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. Good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you for taking time out to have this conversation and for the friendship that's 17 years old now. Yeah. <laughs> different spots of connections over the years. So, and blessings on your next RV journey. <laughs> Thanks so much, Anne. I appreciate it. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at soulgritresources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.